All right, Alexander, let's talk about what is uh, going on in China. And also, we could probably touch upon Mongolia as well. What is going on there? That's an interesting story that uh, we can probably discuss in this video if we have time. Uh, China, but let's start with China. And uh, it looks like that as we discussed uh, about a week ago, that uh, China is uh, is going to be coming out of this uh, this lockdown phase, I guess you could you can call it. And um, this is as we discussed that they're going to to leverage much of these uh, these protests and everything that's been going on in China, and they're going to use it as a way to uh, reemerge out of this uh, this one this this zero sorry the zero coof. I have to be careful with my words, this zero coup policy. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly what we said. I mean, if you remember, we said at the time that there was those protests, which were relatively small, but, you know, they did reflect general exasperation on the part of the population with this zero coup lockdown policy. Um, we, we said this is not going to be a threat to the stability of the Chinese government or to Xi Jinping's position, but it is a sign of growing dissatisfaction. People have been having to live with this zero coup policy now since 2020 for you know, more than two years. There's no light at the end of the tunnel because with the coup circulating globally, you can't isolate China. I mean, you know, it, it, it is simply impossible to do. So the Chinese government understands this. They saw these protests. And they said to themselves, well, look, this is an unviable policy. It's becoming impossible to um, enforce. And they're gradually now opening up. So China now is opening up. And they're also, by the way, uh, taking steps to reflate their economy. So the Chinese government is now releasing funds to get industry going. And there's been information that, you know, the Chinese currency has strengthened the Chinese uh, stock market has boomed. All of the indications point to uh, a, a surge in economic activity over the next few months. Yeah, that's going to have effect on the uh, the price of energy as well. Absolutely, because because the Gas, big thing oil to, oil price oil, cap up thinking and all of these yeah, things. Yeah, well, exactly. you well know, this yeah. is this is the point to understand because of course what's going to happen with oil prices and let's just talk about the oil price cap. The oil price cap on Russian oil, which the EU has just imposed. Um, the Chinese, if their economy starts moving, you know, going up gear, several gears now, they they are going to need more energy. They're going to import more oil. They're going to import more LNG. And what's going to happen is that that in itself is going to be enough probably to lift oil prices and LNG prices. And the indications from OPEC Plus is that they're not going to increase production in order to satisfy that demand. Um, the Saudis apparently feel that they're not really in a position to increase production by very much. They actually cut production a few weeks ago. They might increase production by a little, but not by enough to make the difference, given how huge Chinese demand is going to be. So the Chinese are going to suck up oil, and 
uh, it's now confirmed Xi Jinping is indeed going to be visiting Saudi Arabia and meeting with the um, Arab leaders in a few weeks, in a, in a fairly short time. Apparently, big deals are coming. Big deal, a big deal for LNG has already been agreed between China and Qatar. So all of that is on the way. Now, at the same time, the EU has tried to impose a price cap on Russian oil. And they've tried to pitch it at exactly the level that oil, Russian oil is trading at at the present time, or at least has been until fairly recently. So Russian oil usually sells at a discount in China and India and all of these places of $60 a barrel. And the EU has said, well, the cap, the price cap, therefore, is going to be $60 a barrel. Now, the Russians are saying, however, that they will not sell oil to anybody who applies this price cap. And that means the Europeans. So they're going to block any sales of oil to Europe, to any country that's involved in the oil price cap. And they're going to cut production slightly. They say won't be very much, but they're going to cut production because they're not going to be supplying oil to G7 countries. So they're imposing all these restrictions on supply of oil to Europe just as Chinese demand for oil is going to start to increase. So we are quite likely in a few weeks' time, few months' time, as Chinese demand surges, we're going to see a big, big rise in the price of oil. Maybe not globally, because we're going to see a fragmented market, but certainly in Europe. And again, one wonders whether the Europeans have thought this thing through. Probably not. Yeah, already in Turkey, I've seen like images of uh, already in Turkey, have like this bottleneck of uh, of tankers. Yeah, but that's a hilarious up because Erdo, Erdo, yeah, that's a funny. Yeah, exactly. But it's, I'm, it's I'm it's saying very... this, that's how easy it is to to screw with Europe uh, right now. I mean, absolutely. absolutely. Anyway, go into the story. I mean, they are absolute clowns. Yeah. Because this yeah. is, of course, this is, of course, uh, the story has been very extensively covered by the Financial Times. But of course, it, it's not what it seems. It's, it's what makes it so strange. Because the ships that are being stopped from trans going through the Dardanelles are not Russian ships, and they're not actually necessarily ships carrying Russian oil. They are ships which have Western insurance. So what Erdogan is doing is he's getting his people to check all the insurance policies that all of these people, all these ships have, um, and you know they're letting ships with Russian insurance go through the Dardanelles. Apparently, most of the oil in these ships is not Russian. It's from Kazakhstan. <laughs> so it's creating problems, bottlenecks. The oil price cap is creating bottlenecks in the trading in oil, not of Russia, but of countries like Kazakhstan, which are not supposed to be affected by this oil price cap. It, it's a classic example of the havoc this thing is causing. And I got this, by the way, not from, you know, some alternative news source, but from the Financial Times. Yeah. yeah Erdogan's having fun with all of this. Oh, yeah, of course. He, he really is. is. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, 
He's pressing forward with his gas hub. Apparently, he's now setting up a team to look into how to organise it. I mean, he's really running with all of this. And um, um, Putin is working on his gas union. He's going to be meeting Ilham Aliyev, the president of Azerbaijan, major gas producer, by the way. Uh, Armenia isn't pleased, but that's what Putin is up to. And there's apparently discussions about how... Russia and Azerbaijan are going to move forward in their relations, which points to my mind to Azerbaijan perhaps considering one day joining the gas union. Who knows? So all kinds of things coming, uh, uh, making things more and more difficult. And to reiterate again, a point we've made many times, including on Jimmy Dore, which is that no oil producer, no energy producer, is going to be happy with this um, G7 price cap idea. It's a threat to all of them. And they will work together to sabotage it because they don't want to be in a position where the United States and its friends dictate the price of oil. I mean, that's what OPEC Plus is there to do. So, you know, people wonder why the Saudis and angry with the Americans. Well, that's the major reason. I mean, it's the single thing. It's probably consolidated the royal family and the, you know, the dynasty and all the princes around MBS like nothing else has done. Because from their point of view, this is an existential threat to them. Yeah, a five-year-old can uh, can understand this. But uh, we started on China and uh, you talked about sabotage. Um with regards to trying to sabotage uh, OPEC and OPEC Plus and their position. But uh, we have a different type of, uh, of sabotage, perhaps playing out in Mongolia. Um, what is going on there? Because China is, is kind of involved or they're part of the narrative of uh, this unrest that yes. uh, has been taking yes. place in uh, Mongolia. Yes, and I mean, I, I and, and this is an energy. There's an energy it's component a, to this because you're talking. It's a major power of Siberia, major, and yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It's a major energy thing. Now, I think to understand about Mongolia is that again, always with these protests, there's always two aspects to them. On the one hand, always there is probably a genuine level of dissatisfaction. I'm not saying all people in Mongolia are dissatisfied with their government, but some people clearly are. So you, you can't deny that. But again, there's clear signs of external manipulation. And there are very obvious reasons why some people might want to create problems for China, and not just China, in Mongolia. And that is, there's just a few weeks ago, uh, there was final agreement between the Russians and the Chinese and the Mongolian government that one of these big gas pipelines from Russia is going to go to China across Mongolian territory. So this, these protests, whilst they have genuine causes, and the proximate cause, by the way, is that there's been a suggestion that there's been a major fraud uh, connected with coal supplies from Mongolia. Mongolia is a major coal producer. Coal supplies from Mongolia to China, allegedly $13 billion was stolen. I mean, I'm not saying that's, I mean, that's quite plausible. I mean, I don't know whether it's true or not, but I'm, I'm not going to 
you know, research that. But the point is that that may very well be true. There may very well be real anger of that. But at the same time, all the indications point to a genuine attempt to overthrow the Mongolian government. There was a raid on the parliament building. There has been attacks on government buildings in the capital, in Ulaanbaatar. And all of the indications are that this is in part an anti-Chinese protest as well as an anti-government protest. And it's intended to create ructions in Mongolia and perhaps the external manipulators, if, if you like, want to destabilize the situation there in order to stop this pipeline being built. That, that I have to say, is my own take on this, and I'm pretty sure I'm right, and I'm sure you share it as well. These things just... I mean, if it was just about coal, I don't see why people would be attacking the parliament building. I mean, to, for one, you know, I mean, it, it, that, it seems to me that there's clearly been some kind of an attempt to ferment this in Mongolia itself. Now... I'm going to say a few things about Mongolia and its history. And of course, I mean, we all know a little bit about Mongolian history, but modern Mongolian history in the Mongolian Republic, there is a long-standing anti-Chinese sentiment amongst some Mongol people. And so I'm told. By the way, attitudes to Russia there, I'm also told by people who've been there, including, by the way, a diplomat who served there, um, um, and by contrast, feelings towards Russia, by the way, tend to be fairly positive. Feelings towards China, much less so. So there is that to work with as well. You can create a scandal, you can point it at China, you can try and destabilise the situation. What you're really trying to do is to abstract, obstruct the building of this pipeline. Now... Anybody who looks at a map can see that Mongolia is completely surrounded by China and Russia. Ultimately, whatever is being attempted in Mon Mongolia cannot succeed. Any Mongolian government has to go along, ultimately, with the needs of the Chinese and the Russians when it comes to gas pipelines. So at some point, it will be stabilised. The pipeline will be built. Mongolia will benefit from it because it will be receiving transit fees. So this is an attempt to create trouble, but I don't think it's going to succeed. Yeah, I looked at this attempt as, as a very desperate attempt. If, if it is indeed some sort of regime change in order to prevent uh, pipelines from traversing through Mongolia, it does seem very dis desperate when you just take a look at a map and see where Mongolia is and understand that. That whatever happens, they're going to have to uh, to play ball with with their neighbors, with their two very big, powerful neighbors. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Regardless of the the sentiments they may harbor for China or their their feelings towards Russia, that being positive, this is an opportunity. They have to uh, they have to go through with this because at the end of the day, it looks like it's it's definitely going to be in their best interest as well. So. This is very much, it seems to me, when I first looked at this, I said this is more of just trying to, to sow some chaos and perhaps buy some time, delay things a bit between Russia and China and just sow some general chaos until they, exactly. they got things back under control in Mongolia. 
Exactly. And can I just say also, and this is the other thing, of course, you must never overlook the fact that there are some people, you know, and I don't want to identify particular agencies, but, you know, they get paid for doing this sort of thing. And, you know, they, they, they're able to report back, well, you know, we managed riots in Mongolia, so, you know, we should continue to get paid even more for doing even more things like this. So there is also that factor at play too. But I agree, you want to create problems for the Chinese, you want to create problems for the Russians, you can't really do that in China itself. We saw the protests there were fairly small, and we saw that the Chinese government has responded by, you know, easing the lockdowns. Um, Avril, Avril Haines, the um, US uh, Director of National Intelligence, has actually now said protests in Russia are never going to overthrow the government there. So they've accepted that that's not going to happen. So they're looking for weak They tried spots. in Kazakhstan. They tried in Kazakhstan. They're trying to create problems on the border between Tajikistan and Kyrgyzia. We, we see a major effort being made with the Kurds in Iran. I hadn't appreciated the extent to which the protests, the recent protests in Iran, are essentially you know, in the Kurdish areas. And, of course, now they've tried Mongolia as well. But none of these things look really very like very much like they're going to succeed. And in Mongolia, I don't see how they can. Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, anything else that we need to discuss? We covered it. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it is quite... Well, we've covered, <laughs> we went we've from covered China it, to Turkey to oil we've, to Mongolia. We've, we've, co we've covered a, a big range of things. But, you know, um, you know, without... I mean, the China is not going to achieve double-digit growth rates. I mean, that period is in the past now. I mean, that's, the, the Chinese economy has reached that level of development where double-digit growth rates like it had 10 years ago are, are, are no longer achievable. But we will probably see a significant increase in growth from China over the course of this year. And that is going to make a major effect on the whole balance of the international economy. It's going to raise energy, energy prices. It's going to sh shift further the balance of economic power towards Asia, because, of course, China's economy is going to start moving exactly as the West, especially Europe, goes into recession. And even The Economist has published another article about how the West is going to go into recession. So that's going to be the big narrative story next year. And um, in Europe especially, we're going to see difficult, more and more difficult times ahead. Weather is getting colder. Apparently LNG is drying up. There's less of it arriving than had seemed to be the case. And even though they've cut consumption significantly by cutting supplies to the factories, they're now having to draw increasingly from their underground gas reserves. So with China taking off, bad news for Europe. Yeah, very bad news. Okay, we will leave it there. The Duran.locals.com. We are also on Rockfin as well. And go to the Duran shop, 10% off. Use the code, good day. Take care.